Hello and welcome to episode 120 of the Nerd Culture Podcast, 120. I'm your host David, and we're the NCP crew. Richard. Good evening. Luke. Version 120. And Crystal. Hello. Oh, oh. Hello, oh, oh. What does that mean? <laughs> <I'm tired. laughs> For this episode, we are tired. For this episode, we have news, reviews, and our top five TV shows that we want to make a return in honor of the uh, the ridiculous news that Twin Peaks is coming back. It's shocking. It's cool. Don't get me wrong. Cool. But wow, 20 years later. That's kind of 20, weird. 25 years later, which will tie it nicely into that weird dream sequence, which actually occurs 25 years later. Do you reckon they should actually incorporate uh, some Fire Walk With Me stuff in there? Even though it's, quite, it's basically universally hated. But it should be, wouldn't it be cool like if the David love it? The, oh, well, French, <laughs> but, but the French, French love David. French don't count. <laughs> um, the, oh, that's harsh. If, uh, if uh, David, Bowie's, David Bowie's character appeared, that'd be awesome. Look, at it, I'm, I'm just happy to have it back at all because it's one of those shows that just ended on massive cliffhangers and uh, then just never came back. And <laughs> that just, upset me. I just never saw the last half of season two because I lost all interest. So hopefully, yeah, it's, fair yeah, hopefully it's better the, than that. Even Lynch lost all interest. <laughs> Probably the last five episodes or so, it starts to get back on track. And the last episode is brilliant, but it did lose its way a bit. Along the way, but I'm well, still excited. They, I think they revealed uh, the murderer too soon. Well, uh, well David yeah, that's, that's what Lynch said, yeah. Yeah, David Lynch's plan was actually to never reveal who the murderer was, but the... They um, the networks forced his hand. Well, yeah, you could you could get away with that these days, but the studio basically at the time, if with you, no real idea of what, what was actually going on in the show. If the company so returns as that cross-dresser, <laughs> that'd be awesome. That would be hilarious. I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> it is the work. Cool. All right, well, let's uh, kick it off with some news. We haven't got a lot of news, but uh, I do want to mention that uh, At The Movies is ending. At The Movies is an Australian uh, TV show about movie reviews. An institution. It's an institution. It's been around for 28 years with the same people. So Margaret and David um, have hosted this show. They started on the SBS and they then moved to the ABC. And Everyone's got a critic that they identify with. I, I generally yeah. agree with David. Yeah. Some people are Margaret people, some people are David mm. people. Yeah, that, that, that's a pretty common sort of Aussie statement, isn't it? You're either a Margaret person or a David person. Yeah, I, I find myself more often than not a David person as well. But um, Oh, that's funny. I'm, actually, I'm usually Margaret. <laughs> Well, the, the great thing about it was is that they were they were reviewers that were, would back them their opinions up yeah. with quite detailed reviews and interesting mm. comments. And um, look, it's going to be a real shame to see the guys like it's, whole hole now is is there. And they're not replacing it. Maybe they're actually not going to replace it. Well, given what uh, SBS did when they when they moved to the ABC and the SBS put their own movie show on to try and replace it, and mm. that was quite. Failure. Yeah, I'm quite um, glad they're not replacing. It. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's probably a good, a good. Unless thing. they replace it with us, no, that'd be cool. I'm going to make some calls. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to call some people. They've already had some calls. There, there, there was some serious talk of Charlie Pickering doing a, okay. a movie show. Yeah, um, no. and also um, there's a reviewer on the radio who does movies. What's this? Uh, yeah. Peter Hellier. Peter, Peter, Peter Hellier has a pretty a pretty funny radio oh, movie Phil, review. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like Philip Seymour Hoffman. Anyway, so it, it, I'll, I'll be happy with him. But yeah, it's, it's a shame. It's a shame but, it's gone. But well, could, you know, everything has to come to Charlie Pickering's going to do a new sat- satire. Yeah, show, yeah. So. Bloody. They replaced the roast with some Charlie Pickering rubbish. Didn't replace the roast with it. It's going to be on a different Charlie channel. Charlie Pickering's right up there in my list of Sam Worthington and Jai Courtney. Charlie Pickering's great. Terrible. He's awesome. Hopeful. I like him. All right, moving on. <laughs> I say take this to the cage. <laughs> it's Charlie Pickering versus Jai Courtney. <laughs> Victoria is the cage fighting state. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Uh, other news item is uh, it's an interesting one. Um, the owners of Target and Kmart in Australia, uh, they're both owned by the same company, have decided to pull the game Grand Theft Auto V uh, from the shelves a year after release uh, because they received a petition uh, basically saying that it condones and provokes violence against women. Do these people not pay attention to Grand Theft's Auto 1 to 4, which well, is the exact same thing? Yeah, yeah. So the, Well, the, the catalyst seems to have been because, uh, even though, yeah, it's a staple of the game, mm. and no one can deny that it's a problem. Mm. Right? I mean, it's, it's, the game's a, mis- a very misogynist game. There's, there's mm. no denying that. I think that this catalyst has been because they've recently released a patch that allowed first-person view. 
and so it's it's become a little bit more personal. The petition doesn't doesn't specify that, mm. but it came out around the same time. Maybe but basically, the petition the is back. yeah. I guess that's yeah. I guess that's mm. true. So, but the petition basically says is is it, it was created by um, by a group of women, and some of them are former sex work, sex workers, mm. um, and basically say that the that the idea that you can um, that you kind of encourage they they I guess to beat up women after you have sex with them, specifically prostitutes, I suppose, mm. um, is, you know, is a problem. And anyway, well, you know, came out and Target have listened and, uh, and with all that gamer gate rubbish that's going on, you know, I guess they've, they've listened and they've taken off the shelves. Now there's been, there's, there's been quite a lot of backlash against that in terms of gamers. I mean, my only backlash, I, I don't care. I mean, Tar Target and Kmart can sell whatever the hell they want. Mm. I, mean, I, I don't care. It's up to them what they sell. It's their, it's up to their business. Um, my only problem with it is it's been out for a year and they're only just now had a, had a problem with it. I mean, they've you know they've raked in the profits up until now, and you can buy it. Yeah, but I don't think they sit there and review every game before they put them on the shelves. Well, yeah, no, well, that's true. But they, they should. I mean, it is an R-rated game. It is R-rated, so it's not mm. available to to children. Yeah, well, only because you can't get higher than R. Yeah, well, that's true. But what's wrong with that? But do um, you don't want so, some of the R, other R-rated games are not as uh, not as much of a problem as this one. As misogynist. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Um, anyway, but my, so my problem is this, it's been around, out for a year, so it's really it's it's a moot point now. It and like Luke said, it's every other game, every game in that series. It could have taken problem. it could have taken a year for the actual um, the movement to actually get the number the numbers that they needed to actually put. Present That's not to, a very powerful movement if it's taken them a year to get. I'm that, actually that, thinking that, that, more. That could be it. it could not. They've had petitions. But, petitions have sprung up sprung up since then that are anti that idea. I mean, there's a whole lot of parody petitions basically saying that the Bible should be removed because it's, you know, violence against women and all that sort of stuff. And those petitions came up overnight. Hmm. So if they took a year to get that yeah. many numbers, then that's not a very good... But very the thing, good the thing you, I think you've got to look at here, though, is um, it may be that these people just had never played the game, didn't hmm. know it. Maybe their children were playing it, and then hmm. one day they, they saw what was going on and then started their movement after that, you know, in response to that. Whereas, you know, the minute that... A game gets banned. Gamers will jump on board, and the petition will appear overnight because <laughs> yeah. gamers are networked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I think what it really I, comes down to. I think if you're not a gamer and not a part of the gaming community, you probably don't have much of an idea of how bad some games can get in that sort of sense. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I, don't I know. mean, some people still have the old-fashioned idea that it's all space invaders. Yeah, that's that's well, that's part of the problem. That's that's definitely a point. Uh, I, I mean, I guess. I mean, it's like I said, I, it is a misogynist game, but there's nothing in the game that says that you have to do that. Like, there's no mission that tells you you have to do that. It's a, it's a completely voluntary thing. I guess the, to... I guess the only problem is that, is that well, then why bother including it in the game at all? Yeah, exactly my point. So, yeah, I mean, I'm actually not even a fan of GTA. No, no. I'm not even a fan of those I'm games. I'm not a fan of it for, um, actually for its reasons. I remember playing the first one when it, when it came out in 98. Yeah. And one of the missions actually was, um, I thought, quite nasty and you know quite it was encouraging rape and i stopped playing yeah fair enough there you go cool so you know i i, don't know, I just i thought it was an interesting thing to bring up because i just i i mean the power the power of the people i suppose is, yeah. is, is in effect and yeah. you know they've targeted and came out and reacted to it. and you know came out and target uh you know do market themselves as family friendly yeah that's right the that, you know, that was that's... that was their response essentially yeah. is this, you know in in light of you know the, the response in, in, in our image, then you know we decide. And I, I can fully understand that. I mean, it's not like they're stocking "I spit on your grave" in their DVD section or anything like that as well. <laughs> well you the know, only, it's the same same sort of logic. The only counter argument, I suppose, is that one of the parody petitions that came up is to remove Fifty Shades of Grey, which they do sell. So yeah. if it's you know which which I think is just as misogynistic as, as GTA. Um, so um, you know, but that's. That's their decision. You, you kind of argue that that's sort of in the adult book section with the. There's no adult book section in Target. It's in the book section. No, yeah, and you've got book sections and then you've got kids section. There's a kids and there's an adult. Yeah. Right. It's, Having, it's not. Where are the games? But the games still got a all big together. rated R stamp on it. Yeah, and they can't sell to children. Yeah. Whereas Fifty Shades of Grey, anybody can pick that book up and, and go to the counter and buy it. You're really good. Yeah. You're going to keep convicting Fifty there's, Shades there's of Grey. There's no rating on the book. There's I'm nothing sure to there's say. It's on not that. illegal to buy a book. No. Oh, there you go. That's news. I didn't know that. There's no stamp on it to say that it is actually. Don't... Books don't come with ratings. Yeah. Um, American Psycho. American Psycho did. Yeah, but American Psycho was wrapped in plastic and sealed up and made sure you know. But to Twin Peaks. That's <laughs> that's that's one example of a book. Yeah. yeah. And that's it. Like oh, so yeah, the, I didn't know that. I didn't know. I actually thought I thought Fifty, 50 Shades of Grey was Grey. actually marketed. 
Fifty yeah. Shades of Grey is at supermarkets, just at the at the stand, just as you go through the counter. Well, there I mean, you, you go. Know. Yeah. That's interesting. I think there's a different perception toward books to games. It's just a. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I mean, it is a different perception. You're totally yeah. right. Yeah. The, the book's not uh, asking you to actively yeah. participate in the action. No, and I'm not excusing it. I'm it's just... almost voyeuristic more than anything else. You're reading what's going on rather than participating directly. Yeah. And trust me, it's not well enough. The book is so badly written that you couldn't actually read it as being... You know, an active participant. It's just the. It's just such a terrible book. And yet they're yeah. rolling in the dough. Oh, they are. There's no doubt about it. Anyway, let's move on to, uh, to our last item. Is um, a esteemed comic uh, artist Pat Broderick uh, has uh, returned to the comic fold after a 20 year hiatus. He, uh, he was working at a, an advertising firm, I do believe, mm-hmm. and uh, has returned to comics. And uh, hey, I'm pretty happy because he's. he's Great artwork. Been a big fan of Pat Broderick since his days on Captain Marvel and Micronauts, Micronauts. which takes me back, you know. (laughs) And um, you know, Batman. I think didn't do some Batman. Yeah, he did do some Batman. And uh, my personal favorite is actually Captain Atom from the eighties, a greatly underrated series that he was the artist on for quite a while. Anyway, so he's made a return and uh, he's jumped on the social media. He's got he's got his own Facebook page, and uh, he unfortunately uh, deemed it (laughs) necessary to make some comments about. Uh, cosplayers, uh, so the concept of cosplay and cosplayers themselves, and and uh, basically said things along the lines of, you know, if you're a cosplayer, don't bother asking for a friend request, and you know, don't bother contacting me, and and also don't bother coming to see me at, at a show that I'm at. So um, that's gotten a bit of a bit of response. It's, it's quite fascinating. The, the response is uh, a couple of um, co- comic creators have, have jumped on board and have agreed with him, um, and then. Of, you know, in res- in uh, response, a couple of comic creators, most 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 notably George Perez, have sort of come on on board, uh, have come on to uh, disagree with him. Um, so, as I wanted to bring that up because uh, we're, I mean, I'm a fan of cosplay. Um, it, you know, we, we focus a bit on cosplay on this show, uh, mainly because of Silhouette uh, being a part of the crew. And uh, I just I just wanted to point out that I I you know like I actually agree with everything George Perez says. Like he, um, you know, he's entitled to his opinion, and uh, even if we disagree i do i do feel that just the sort of the very forceful and sort of kind of hateful way that he said it was kind of unnecessary but um it turns out he does have some supporters and it's i, I found that kind of interesting so i, I just want i mean cosplay for me basically basically what he was saying is that that cosplay was sort of the death of the comic con and i just i've just got to point out that the comic con is already dead like the actual the comic the 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 idea of an entire convention based around comics just doesn't exist anymore. It's it the fandom now is literally, you know, multiple versions of fandoms. I mean, you've got your Doctor Who fans, you've got your, you know, your movie fans, you, you know, you got your cosplay yeah. fans, you got all that sort of stuff. They the all come is, together, yeah. and the whole point of of nerd culture is that all these different fandoms can get together and and you know exist coexist peacefully. Just another the fact that these that you know the Doctor Who fan is most likely going to be a comic book fan anyway, and yeah. a fan of other um, other uh, genres, um, titles, and things like that within you know the umbrella term of nerd culture. You That's know, right. We're, we're That's all comic, you know, for the most part, we're comic fans, but we're also you know science fiction novel fans, we're uh, science fiction movie fans. We you know we we'll love Star Trek, we love Star Wars. Blade Runner, you know. Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly what I'm saying. It's it's it, cons nowadays have to be a nerd culture con mm. for it to exist and to thrive, and mm. it's and that's a fact. I mean, there's, there's that's not opinion. You can mm. look that up. Um, so, and moment, so, just one more point. Yeah, people were dressing up well before you know cosplay as a phenomenon existed. Yeah, exactly. People, people went to comic people went to comic con- and science fiction conventions in costume because that's what they did. So I yeah. don't see it as a problem. It's an extension. Yeah. Yeah, the counter-argument that's being presented by a lot of the people, because this is not the first time this has come up. No. Um, we've actually had it come up a few times. The counter-argument is that cosplay is actually drawing all of the attention and it's taking attention away from, you know, yeah. the, the comic creators that are there trying to, you know, to basically, you know, ply their trade and, and sell their prints and their original artwork and things like that. Yeah. Now, I actually agree with the point that both of you have made. I actually don't think that that's a valid argument. I would say that the more people that are being drawn into um, these conventions, the more opportunities there are for people to actually sell their wares. And if 
these creators were smart about that. They would capitalize on that and they would find ways to Spot. work with this new em- emerging fan base because these these cosplayers are like the ultimate form of fan. That's they right. They are they're so Advertising the comics that they're dressing up as. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Now, I mean, if I was, if I was a, a comic creator... I would be fully impressed. I would want every cosplayer that was dressing up as a character that I was working on to come and say hello to me, to take photos, to, you know, market yourself within this market. Yeah, but that brings me to one of the exact quotes was, you know, this this guy comes into this, one of the creators of the piece, like this guy comes into my booth, he he was a proprietor, dressed as Doctor Strange. And said that, and it's like, oh, actually, I don't know anything about Doctor Strange, but I know there's a movie coming out, and I'm really excited, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch fan, that sort of stuff. And I'm really excited about Doctor Strange, but I actually don't know anything about the character. And instead of instead of jumping onto that opportunity and saying, well, here's some Doctor Strange comics, hmm. here's some Doctor Strange posters, here's some Doctor Strange merchandise, start buying my stuff. Yeah. You go, you got, you go, oh, I got, sorry, I got, sorry, I kicked him out of my booth. Yeah, it's like that's, that's so frustrating to me. Yeah. It's like you don't the the person these cosplayers spent hours and hours and hours of time on these costumes. The good ones, mm-hmm. not the ones that just slap stuff together. But I mean, these, I mean the, the serious ones. They they spend so much time and so much creative energy on these things. It doesn't matter if they don't know the first appearance of this character or who their mother is, you know, or even even to the extent of what even whatever all their powers are. It doesn't matter in the slightest. They just think they look cool. And I think it would be look cool to sort of to, yeah. to dress as them. With any, any absolutely any business has to change with the times. Exactly, and that's the same with these creators marketing themselves. Now, I, I, in in some respects, I can s- kind of see where they're coming from. Yeah, but I, I still think they really need to look at look at it as a as a potentially positive thing for their business, and then work with that and, and work around that and try and make something of it. The other argument is that you know. Creators have now been uh, trained to believe that conventions are actually all about, you know, them, big announcements, yeah. you know, what they're doing and things like that. It's never been the case. Conventions have always been about fans. It's been, they've always been organised by, you know, in the past, organised by fans. Really just small groups of people coming together because they wanted other fans to talk about, mm. you know, their interests and their hobbies with. Um, now and, it's businesses doing it, and, now, and, that's, yeah. and, that, and that's that's the thing. Conventions aren't about creators. Conventions yeah. are about fan appreciation, yeah, um, and making money, and making money. <laughs> but um, that, that and that's the problem I have with that comment. Yeah, you know, that guy's there as a fan. Pat Broderick should be embracing that and realize, yeah, no, I'm here for you to buy, as you say, buy, you know, buy my wares. Yeah, um, I would have unloaded so much Doctor Strange stuff yeah. on that guy. It was unbelievable. The that's the one. The, 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 the one that I could sort have of, drawn Doctor Strange for him. Yeah, you exactly. Know, here's, so, a, here's a sketch of Doctor Strange. You know, like at first glance, one of the one of the comments actually makes sense, which was, you know, they hog up all the space in front of my table and they don't buy yeah. anything. Now, at first glance, that's true. Cosplayers don't buy anything. Well, not because be yelled at. Because, well, not just not just that. It's because they don't have any space. They don't have space to carry stuff around. Mm. I mean, when when we were there. I had bags and bags dripping off me. We had a you know, massive and Star Trek bag that we had to buy stuff in order to and get. I contemplated to put stuff being in. in cosplay at one point, and I was like, "There's just no way. <laughs> There's just no <laughs> way I could do it." Just, but what they don't realise is that these very same people they they only cosplay on a couple. The cons go for you know two, three, four days. They cosplay for the main days that the competitions are on, mm. um, and then they come back out of costume to buy their stuff. Yeah, you know, cosplayers are the ones that spend the most money. I mean, they're buying all these props. These props are cheap. Yeah. You know, they buy all this stuff. So as, as long as they keep that in mind, maybe they just don't understand that. So now yeah. that they do know that because of the, fact, the, the backlash, maybe they'll calm down a bit about it. Yeah. Look, I think part of this comes probably more from the fact that, as you said earlier, in some respects, the, the comic part of a convention is becoming maybe not marginalised, but it's sort of often getting pushed to the side of, you know, for the big movie announcements and the big game announcements and so on. Um, And I really think that perhaps that's what comic creators should be looking at a bit more uh, as a challenge rather than just blaming the cosplayers for it. Yeah. Because the cosplayers are not the issue here. No. The issue is that, as you said, conventions are not comic conventions anymore. No, that's right. So how do you... How do you market yourself, and you know whether it's the companies or the creators, to actually get back into that market and make yourself prominent again? And um, yeah. you know, I think that you know part of that is you know better products get people excited. You know, 
better attitude. Mm. Much better attitude. Yeah. A better attitude. I mean, it's not all cosplay. Not all creators are like that. George Perez, like I said earlier, he loves the cosplayers. He's creating Gail's, a comic based on the yeah, cosplayers that he knows. Gail so Simone. Yeah. She, every single Batgirl that came when I was when I was there interviewing her, every single Batgirl that even slightly even walked past, she was like, "Hey, can I get a photo?" You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, and just is basically every creator that saw someone in the costume that was relevant to them in some way, they were super super excited that I've I've never had a single I've never seen a single comic creator get annoyed because there was a cosplayer around. Yeah. So it's it's definitely a minor, minority. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah. having said that, I'm still going to buy the Pat Broderick. Comics because oh yeah, I'm not stupid enough like to say artwork. I'm gonna. He's also awesome. now <laughs> gonna ban all Pat Broderick products from the household. I mean, he's entitled to his opinion. I just, yeah. I just think his opinion is wrong. Yeah. Crystal, you know what your job now is, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, let's move. Let's move on. Uh, so let's move on to the reviews. So first up, we've got Richo and Silver Surfer. It's actually Silver Surfer Volume 1, New Dawn. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for that <laughs> clarification. Uh, it's not as if he hasn't had a hundred other series before that. Well, that is true. Um, this is the latest Silver Surfer series from Marvel. It's um, written by Dan Slott and drawn by Mike Allred. I'll preface this by saying that I absolutely love the Silver Surfer. He's one of my ten favourite Marvel characters. Um, over the recent years, I've found his series has been a lot more misses than hits. Um, but a lot of that, I think, stems from... I don't know if it's a desire or not, but the, the approach that's been taken a lot in modern years with um, cosmic characters is that cosmic doesn't sell and so therefore we'll bring it all down to earth and we'll try to make it all more realistic and i just i just don't want that from my cosmic characters i want my you want your jim stalin that's right i want my cosmic characters to be cosmic um what about about that huge crossover with the huge cosmic annihilation 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 was fantastic okay absolutely it was um and the subsequent Nova and Guardians of the Galaxy series by uh, Abnett and Lanning were also fantastic. Excellent. The current Guardians of the Galaxy, not so much. <laughs> but um, and as as readers will know, I, I do struggle a bit to find Marvel series and DC series that uh, I can really sink my teeth into these days. But fortunately, this book was right up my alley as far as what I was looking for. Um, first of all, Dan Slot gives us. Lots of big ideas, cool concepts, lots of spacey space action. Um, he, he like he, he throws in a nice bit of um, you know metaphysics and philosophy and all, all the things I love about science fiction are there. Um, whilst at the same time never losing sight of who the Silver Surfer is as a character, he writes him probably a little bit differently than sort of the more traditional approaches we've seen by you know guys like. Um, you know, Stanley and Steve Englehart. Um, he he puts a little bit more humour into the character, uh, which is nice. Um, he also creates a really, really cool supporting character called Dawn, who is intrinsically connected with the Silver Surfer and is the person he's most likely to care about and, and you know do things for and everything, even though he's never met her. Um, he sets up uh, a new world called the Empiricon, which is also really fascinating. It defies the laws of physics it is in this world it, it you're able to do the impossible um and they keep themselves hidden like the silver surfer has never found them because they basically don't want to get eaten by galactus so they keep themselves hidden from heralds so this is the thing there's lots of cool ideas thrown into this book um and but also it's it's fun there's a lot of adventure you know it's enjoy what with so many books being so damn depressing these days it's nice to pick up a book that's, you know, whilst it has a has a level of gravitas, it's still fun and entertaining to read. Um, now, a big part of that comes from Mike Allred as well. Mike Allred, is, in my opinion, is a fantastic artist. He captures a really beautiful pop art sensibility without being too pretentious about it, um, you know, or, or self-aware of that. He just revels in that, that style of artwork. Um, and... He's also one of the best storytellers in comics. And I think this is an art that often gets lost, and we've talked about it in the past, in that in attempts to make things look pretty, a lot of modern comic artists just don't have a flow to their pages. You know, panels don't link together nicely. And whereas Mike Allred, I think, 
um, is a master at that. Um, and the simplicity of his art style belies the complexity of his storytelling. And he's the perfect artist to really capture the, you know, the, the sort of awe and wonder of the book that is often missing in, in previous takes on The Silver Surfer. Um, clearly, Dan Slott, big fan of Doctor Who. <laughs> there's yeah, a I'm glad real... you mentioned it because if you didn't, I was going to. Yeah, there's a, there's a real t- Doctor Who feel to this, but I, I I don't mind that. Like I I love Doctor Who, and I'm glad to see an American writer picking up on that and and utilizing that. And, and it's obvious, you know, because the dedication is dedicated to Russell T Davies. In exactly. The credits, so. Exactly. So even without that, it would still be obvious. It's yeah. not obvious, but but he's know. acknowledging it. He's yeah. not trying even to. Even in your it review, anyway. you just said spacey wacy. You know, uh, that is it's true. Like, come on. Yeah, even a bit of timey wimey. And this well. whole Dawn, I mean, Dawn, it's, just, it's clearly Doctor Who in a companion. Mm. Yeah, absolutely it is. But I, I actually don't mind that. I, I like that. Dawn, Dawn is actually not a bad point of view character to keep things she is a, a cool little bit more <laughs> grounded. You know, That's what annoys See, me, the fact that she's actually a cool character. Yeah. See, the problem The problem is a lot of people try to ground the Silver Surfer in Earth yeah. reality. And you, know, and you don't need to do that. All you need to do is bring a human character into the fantastic world and make that your sort of your point of view character. That's right. And and have them awestruck by the wonder of what they're seeing. They and did it, try it they did try it in the past with Nova. They um, did the yeah. female Nova, Frankie. Yep. yep. Um yeah, and it's and it was maybe not as successful as it possibly could have been. Yeah. Whereas I, I think this the, this they've hit it on the head with this. Yeah, you know? the the difference there I suppose is that Nova came into the book as somebody who was empowered by Galactus and so therefore she was part of the cosmic she was human first she was she was but when she when she entered the Silver Surfer book yeah, yeah. she was already Nova she and so there. she she was part of the cosmic and was still dealing with a lot of the awe and wonder of that but this is a human who has never left her home yeah. her, her her hometown has never left at all is now thrown into this fantastic gotcha. world um, and honestly I am just glad to see Marvel producing these kind of books mm. You know, yes, they're fringe books, but with um, you know this Daredevil, um, Nightcrawler, those kind of books that you know they may not last long because you know because they're not important enough and they're not part of big crossovers and things like that. But I think it's important to have these books out there. And to me, the Silver Surfer is the best uh, of those books that Marvel is currently producing, and it's giving me it's giving me that cosmic feel that you know that I wish I was getting from stuff like Guardians of the Galaxy. So I'm glad comic, not the film, by the way, it should be pointed out. Comic yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I should point out. I thoroughly enjoyed the film. It was very entertaining. Um, yeah, so I loved this book. I strongly recommend anybody who enjoys good, fun cosmic comics to go out and buy it in order to, you know, keep the title going so it doesn't get cancelled. So I personally can read more. Um, and I'm going to give this four and a half looks. For all the money that slots made them, I don't think it's going to be cancelled anytime soon. Yeah, he's had books cancelled on him before. Yeah, but that was before. Spider-Man and uh, that's true he's basically the golden boy yeah that is true and um, actually he's kicking goals that's a good point if you liked She-Hulk like Dan Slott's She-Hulk I think you'll really like his take on the Silver Surfer cool awesome thanks dude Uh, next up we've got Ian Luke and he's reviewing the film Exodus um okay did you you want to give it its full title Exodus Gods and Kings Gods and Kings um well, okay, why did it need gods and kings? I mean, I'm sure we all know the story of Exodus. I'm, <laughs> no, the, I, I'm an atheist no, and I know the story you, of Exodus. You just heard the way I said it. Obviously gods I'm a fan and of kings. It. But no, okay, to be fair to that, not many people are going to, you know, the wider, non-biblical um, speaking world would um, not actually put together that Exodus is the story of Moses. They'd go call it, you know, Moses or the Ten Commandments. Which is what it's been, what the story's been called. In yeah, film I don't previously. accept that. No, I don't um, accept it. <laughs> Still thinks it's ridiculous. Or, you know, I so, say the nay. <laughs> the word Exodus is very co- commonly worldwide known as the story of, of Moses and the. I say the nay. <laughs> yeah, sorry, continue. <laughs> um, okay, so Exodus, as you've already gleaned, <laughs> which is good because I don't have to go into speaking about the plot too much, is the story is the story of is really Scott's new film and is the story of Moses from Mo from. Um, his time as general and stepbrother to Ramesses II, through to his through to his exile, through to his um, uh, becoming leader of the the, um, the Hebrew people, through to leading the leading the Hebrews um, out of Egypt and being pursued by Ramesses um, to Canaan. Um, it you know this is I don't have to talk too much about the plot. It's it's a it's a story that's been told on screen and in other formats many times before. You know from Cecil B. You know all the way from the silent era. Through to most recently, you know, before this, the animated version, the Prince of Egypt, um, uh, executive, 
which was a, a, a DreamWorks. Not a not a bad adaptation, the the Prince of Egypt. But although I do find it interesting that in both this in Exodus and in the Prince of Egypt, that Moses has been played by ex Batman. Who's <laughs> Good in point. The Prince of Egypt? Val Kilmer. Really? Yep. Yeah. There you go. Um, okay. So and you know, so I don't need to talk too much about the plot so much. Um, as you would expect from a really Scott epic, the production values are excellent. Um, and it's unlike, say, um, uh, Robin Hood, we've actually got Gladiator-style, Gladiator-era Ridley Scott doing this. Um, so he's brought everything to... Uh, he's brought, you know, the the painterly eye, the the really interesting production set design, um, the good camera work. He's brought, you know, all that back. Uh, the performances in this are um, excellent. Whilst Christian Bale, this is not an, uh, an Academy Award-worthy... Um, a performance. Christian Bale is still quite believable and quite grounded as Moses, and I, you know, could fully sit, fully believe him um, leading the people. Joel Edgerton, who in some in some instances might come across as being a bit stilted and a bit wooden, um, I actually think is quite effective as Ramesses because he's not giving a, a, a stereotypical antiquated performance. He's not trying to be grand or you know Laurence Olivier or um, uh, Peter Ustinov or you know. The type of people who would generally play the played these roles in the past in a uh, dramatic, way. A, a, an overly, overly yeah. dramatic way to come across that they are from an older time period and things like theatrical, theatrical time period. He actually tries to be quite grounded, um, um, and a lot more believable. Hmm. Um, like I said, it doesn't always work. Sometimes it does come across as a little wooden, but for the most part, he is quite effective. Um, you know, they, they are ably supported by guys like John Totaro as Pharaoh, as Ben Kingsley, as the, um, the people, who, the person who tries to convince, uh, tries to tell Moses of his Hebrew heritage and his actual parentage and what his role is. Um, it can't, this, a story like this, a film like this will always come down to really the way that the material is adapted. And that's where I have a couple of problems with. Uh, there are some fabulous set pieces, um, one being the arrival of the plagues. You know, we do get plagues. We get, you know, crocodiles, frogs, um, pestilence, famine, locusts. But it sort of gets back to a problem that I... that My, my main problem with the film, which is that whilst Christian Bale is very good and Moses is a good character, um, the, uh, the plot means that when they focus on things like the plagues, Moses is actually thrown out of the picture, if that makes sense. But he's meant to be. The plagues are about the, the power of God. So God becomes the man, and, and and I've got, and I'm not saying that that should be negated in this story. What I'm saying, uh, I what I would what I would have appreciated is to see how Moses was actually handling the pe- his people whilst the plagues are actually going on, keeping his people safe. Because no, that was going to be one of my questions at the end, actually, but I'll throw it in now because it makes more sense. Mm-hmm. Do they have? A, there's one. There's just one one part about how that that sequence in the Bible and in every film adaptation I've ever seen that it has mm-hmm. that's never really played on, but. What does Moses think about what's happening? Like he's actually he's now directly responsible for the death of the firstborn child of every family. He actually does have um, a considerable problem because one of the one of the we do see discussions between him and God. Um, really? Yes. Um, no. No, as in not in a far away, you know, in the clouds discussion. Rod Todd. God. God is personified. Um, I was thinking more about books, but God is personified as um, a young child. Right. Um, which I actually think it does kind of work, it it, and they do try and um, uh, they do try and phrase it so that you know he could be speaking to God. He could be perceived as being a bit mad. Yeah. Uh, people do. Uh, one person in particular, played by Aaron, by Breaking Bad's Aaron Paul, um, you know, it does actually see him talking to himself. Um, so they, without you know making a definite comment, they do actually try and you know posit that. Um, idea as well, but Moses actually does have a problem with what God's doing. Mm-hmm. You know, he actually th- does think it's unfair. He thinks God is rushing into this. He actually does warn Ramesses before the the sleeping death um, occurs. He doesn't know what's going to happen, but he does say, "Look, something actually is about to come. If you don't do some, if you don't, if we don't stop this now, we, you know." Something, something actually quite nasty. Well, that's what he does in the bubble as well. At the start of every plague, he mm. says this: it's going to escalate mm. unless you. So you know, he does actually have a problem with what's going on. Yeah. But what, the other thing was that you know, it's prophecy that Moses is going to be the great leader of the people, yeah. uh, of the people, and actually save them. And whilst we do actually see him training, because he's a general in the in the Egyptian army before his exile, um, we do see him training the Hebrews in military tactics. 
oh, we do cool. see them actually engage in terrorist acts. Wow. Um, at which there is, you know, response from the Egyptians. And that's kind of interesting. It is. Um, I don't actually still... It, there was never a point where I went, okay, I still don't see why they would choose him as the leader. Because uh, the priest told them to. The, the priest told them to, but I wanted to actually see it from him. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah I'll get you. I'll so get you. Seeing, seeing how he would try to handle his people during the plagues and we see when the sleeping death occurs we do see him say right slaughter the lambs paint the doors with the dots and I wanted more of that during the plagues itself so that there was a human reaction rather than a, oh my goodness God's vengeance is awful reaction gotcha. that makes sense um, and I th and that's probably the big story the big story um, element that uh, not frustrated me but I kind of wanted to know more of the other problem that I that I do have with this is that it is long you know, biblical books are never short. Um, but yeah, I, you got Ridley Scott and biblical. Mm, yeah. Three-hour film there. Yeah, well, it, it's it's two and a half hours. But I, <laughs> I think you would have cut. You could have cut twenty to half an hour, twenty to half, twenty minutes to half an hour out, and you wouldn't have lost um, anything. Yeah. Um, um, overall, you know, certainly not a terrible film, and I did enjoy watching. It. And there is there is much to enjoy, um, but uh, not quite as satisfying, I think, as you know previous adaptations of the story. Gotcha. Um, so certainly worth seeing on the big screen, but at the same time, yeah, probably not. You know, the big, the big epic that um, we might have might have expected from it. Um, I give this three looks. Hey, anyway, let's move on to my review. We'll uh, we'll finish up quickly. Mine won't be too long. But basically, uh, I'm reviewing the film Fury, which is a 2014 war drama uh, produced and starring Brad Pitt. Uh, it's directed by David Ayer. Ayer. I don't know, A Y E R. Um, a? It could be Air. A Y E R? A Ayer. David Ayer. Anyway. For uh -huh. future reference, pick the names of people that you can actually pronounce. <laughs> Brad Pitt's easy to pronounce. I can't, I can't, well, you I shouldn't can't... mention the director at all. You just. Oh, <laughs> I, always like to, I always like to mention the director. I mean, yeah. they're pretty important. <laughs> <laughs> the story writer, the director. Screw yeah. the actors, they're just, they're just yeah. doing their told. <laughs> that's right, they're talking props. <laughs> talking props, that's the comment. That's the line I was trying to think of, talking props. Anyway, so, it, uh, so as I said, it stars Brad Pitt, but it also uh, stars Logan Lerman, uh, Shia LaBeouf, uh, Michael Pina, and John Bernthal, uh, who they all are a crew, a tank crew, so they're in a... A tank that they have nicknamed the Tur the Fury, but it is in fact a, according to this, M4A3E8 Sherman tank, um, and uh, for the Allies, and they're in Nazi Germany. So it's not called Inglorious Tankies. Inglorious <laughs> Tankies, no, but it, it it probably would have been better if it was. Uh, so, um, and uh, even though America is uh, the Allies are winning, um, the they the tanks themselves are severely outgunned by the German Tigers, um, so and that's uh, that's demonstrated quite well. I think a very a very exciting sequence where four of these Shermans go up against one Tiger and only just manage to win. <laughs> it's like, geez, what's going on here? That's it's actually a pretty pretty cool little sequence. <laughs> um, it, the actual film, the the, the film itself. Uh, Actually, I mean, I've got to admit, I just really, it really didn't do it a lot for me. I mean, it's it's got some some great acting and uh, reading up on sort of the production of it, but just you know, just how you know method they tried to be with it. You know, like how they lived and they slept in this tank, like they would actually really do in the war, and stuff in order to get a feel for it and all that sort of stuff. I find that all that sort of all that sort of stuff very fascinating. The actual story, the storyline itself, really just I really didn't really do it for me. I mean, I've got to be honest with you. They just, I mean, it's very very by the numbers. You know this, you know, this ragtag ragtag group. You know they, they've they've got the the rookie on the team, and you know the hard nosed commander that they all love and respect, but all hate as well. And you know all that sort of stuff. It's all been done to death. And and the actual the the climatic sequence at the end stretches belief quite far compared to the earlier stuff where they tried to be as realistic as, as, as possible as far as I can tell when they've tried to be realistic about you know the horrors of war and that whole thing that whole the whole ideal of the horrors of war is shoved down your throat so much that it basically just it actually starts to kind of get boring like the shock of it wears off far too soon mm. I do quite like I'll, I will take this opportunity to to say that uh, I mean it, long time listeners of this podcast will know how much I love Brad Pitt uh, but I do actually quite like 
Shia LaBeouf. I mean, it's, it's Shia LaBeouf is a very interesting person to me. <laughs> so it's, I mean, it's, I, I enjoy all of these performances, <laughs> and and this one especially, I think is is absolutely brilliant. Uh, but he is just such a wanker. <laughs> I just mm. don't, I just don't understand it. And I guess that sort of uh, we'll, we'll touch on this a bit more. I think in uh, episode one twenty two when I when I spring my secret question on, on you guys. Uh, no spoilers, but I, I guess yeah. I just I, I I think this was the film that I found easiest to sort of differentiate my knowledge of Shire the person to Shire the the performance. You know, he, he really does a really really good job, um, really impressive. But yeah, I mean, the, so the story the story is really not that exciting, and and uh, even that one cool action sequence is really not that exciting. And one of the characters in it, I hated so much that when he eventually died, I was glad. And it was really, there's a really clunky scene just before he dies. It's, I mean, this does not redeem him in any way, shape, or form. It's just good riddance to this person. Yeah, I mean, it's, I'm not, it's not terrible. It's very, it's completely made. It's very well acted by certain people. Um, and, uh, you know, it's Brad Pitt. So, <laughs> so therefore, automatically gets a star. But uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not terrible by any means. So, you know, I recommend checking it out if you're a fan of that sort of stuff. If you're a fan of war films, by all means, give it a go. Um, and I must say that seeing the tanks in action was actually pretty cool. I mean, tanks are pretty cool. Mm. Um, it, it sounds like uh, a uh, like a boring version of Garth Ennis' Battlefields. I think some of the best work that Garth Ennis has actually done, because he actually, instead of doing the preacher thing of making gross-out comedy, he actually does try and humanise it to, and not go into the, oh, the horrors of war, but actually try and focus on the humanity that these people have to retain. And the stories are all about different characters and different sides of sides of the war. Go, cool. give uh, David Air Air, however we pronounce his name, yeah. um, is has actually been uh, hired to write and direct because he wrote and directed this. He's been hired to write and direct the Suicide Squad. So clearly, this movie's obviously put him in good stead to get a yeah, yeah. higher profile job like that. Like I said, it's it's, how, it's all competently done, yeah. so I've got no problem with that. But how, how do you think he'll do on that? Just based on your impressions of Fury. See, that's that's a good question, because, I mean, it is basically a group dynamic yeah, film. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's like this group and how they interact. And, you know, actually, that makes me feel happy. I'm actually okay. quite happy with that, because okay. they actually, because as a study of how a group interacts in such confined quarters for all this time, it does work. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Interesting. Yeah. Awesome. So let's move on to our top five topic for this episode, which is... Top five TV shows that we want to make a return. We want to return to our screens. Maybe finish off some plot holes, or basically just because we love it, we want more of it. <laughs> Whatever the case would be. We're going to start off with Crystal. No, we won't. Oh, no, we're all going to be last. That's right. There's a, there's That's why I want to do that first. There's, there's a reason, reason for that. that. Uh, do you want to go first? You often yeah, go yeah, last go on this. Yeah, so okay, let's start on. with the young yeah. Dave. Right. Let's get him all going. Everybody? What did you say, Uncle Dave? <laughs> <laughs> I said, Let's he said young Dave. But <laughs> the way he said it, it was like I was going to start stripping. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for that permission, Richard. I will indeed go first. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So uh, I'm a fan of this topic. Um, as it, uh, it was, it was uh, Richard's idea, I believe. It was. Um, I'm so, so excited it, by this Twin Peaks news that because, um, as you might remember, I did rank it the number one show of the '90s. That's pretty good. Episode, so, so I was pretty good at this, and this was this was a no brainer for me I didn't even have to research this this was just bang <laughs> off the top of my head there they were so number one actually I'll start with you want to start with number five no let's start number, we'll start number five count, Num- count down number five The Roast down sorry no not count down <laughs> um, yeah The Roast it's a no brainer we want yeah. that to return uh, number four Star Trek just as a concept I want another Star Trek TV show to show up basically to erase the memory of Enterprise would be good <laughs> uh, they had a whole bunch of cool ideas, and with and Star Trek is you know as popular as it ever was. So another Star Trek show would be cool. Deadwood, uh, Deadwood was an absolute crying shame that it kept, that it ended the way it did. Uh, they didn't we didn't even have a tally movie to wrap up the storyline, which is and you know there's there's more stories that can be told. Uh, at Deadwood, it's just, it's not going to happen, but, yeah, but uh, it'd be awesome if it did. It's kind of it's kind of like the real Deadwood sort of lot. The, the story would um, you get to a certain point and life goes on afterwards. Yeah, they didn't even become an official township by the end. No, but, but what I'm saying is, it's maybe they just took a slice of history. No, no, because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was too expensive. Hear me out. <laughs> it's, it's, I know Deadwood's not accurate, but if you just took a slice of history and presented it, there's there's 
just normal everyday life doesn't have a start, yeah. beginning, middle, and end. I agree. I have a counterpoint, but yeah. I'm going to wait yeah. until um, my turn because okay, you know, cool. I, I do want to talk about that. But I, yeah. I, I hear what you're saying, yeah. and, and yeah. I do have something to actually yeah. respond to. Yeah. But I'm I'll just, wait until. I'm just being devil's advocate. I mean, I would like to see an ending as well. but Make know. a valid point, but still, yeah. the show should have come to a better ending than that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, number two, I've got Now and Again. Uh, now and Again was a, a show from the early 2000s or late 90s, I suppose, which is a family friendly show about a guy who. Uh, played by John Goodman, uh, as we all know, is a huge, lovable man, mm-hmm. uh, who gets hit by a train and his brain is transplanted into a genetically created person. And so he's basically, you know, and becomes a secret agent. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's ridiculous. Uh, and then spends the rest of the show trying to reconnect to his family who think he's dead, but he's actually now in this hot young body. And uh, it was, I was, I love it. It was this huge, huge major thing in our house at least I watched every single episode multiple times um, and that just sort of comes to an end so there's no real sort of resolution to that so a second season that would have been cool um, and of course number one I, I don't think anybody in this room is going to be shocked by me saying Firefly <laughs> oh my god I'm uh, shocked <laughs> which is I just can't I just can't understand why this show was stopped I just can't I just can't fathom it and yet shows you ratings know, Nah, racist is not good enough. <laughs> Network execs hate science. What's it? What that that rubbish that Joss Whedon did after that? What was that called? Dollhouse. 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 Worst ratings, and yet still continued because it had a hot chick in it. Yeah. So yeah. it's you know I don't know. It's ridiculous. So Firefly was was brilliance from start to finish, and should continue on. Oh, and, I, and, I, and I guess in a way it did with Serenity the movie, um, but that's not enough. I want more. It's ready now. And just as a just a very quick uh, honourable mention, just because it's a, it was a big theatre part of my childhood, but uh, V the series, it was terrible, <laughs> but it does end on a plot on a on a on a, on a plot early, uh, uh, like they, a, a cliffhanger is what I was trying to think of. It ends on a cliffhanger, and uh, that really annoys me. So I want to see a resolution. Though. But they did bring that back. <laughs> no, no, no. That's a remake. It's a reimagining. It's not a continuation. Okay. <laughs> I never actually saw it though. Was it any good? The remake? No. No. Yeah. No, the special sure. effects were good and production values were quite good, but the, the storylines weren't. Yeah. That anyway, it's not a continuation. The, so the last episode of the series ends with a bomb on the ship that the Star Child is on. You don't know if the bomb explodes. You don't know what happens. I need to know. I, I think Quantum Leap ended weirdly. It ends weirdly, but it still ends. It still ends, but it's. I was never happy with that ending. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so next up we've got Richo. Yeah, I must admit, I tried to stick with um, more recent shows because a lot of shows from the distant past that I love that I would love to see back in their original form. But I know that's never, ever going to possibly ever happen. Two pieces go back 25 years later. Yeah, and no, I'm talking about shows from, like, you know, the 60s and that period. <laughs> I dream of Jamie. <laughs> I was thinking more things like, um, you know, The Prisoner and Twilight Zone and stuff like that. You know, right. my favourite shows of all time. But let's make facts. You've got to, got to be a little bit more realistic about it. They this. did try no, they, Twilight Zone there, a few times. There's no I know, rules they here. You don't have to be realistic. No, this, this was a self-imposed. Oh, okay. Self-imposed. Okay. Thank you. Okay, so um, my number five show is Justice League Unlimited, cool. the cartoon. Um, I absolutely love the Bruce Timm animated universe. It is just awesome. And um, I, I want more of it. Um, the cartoons that they've done since then, I've, I've enjoyed some. I haven't liked others, but none of them has equaled, you know, the Batman, Superman, Justice League period of cartoons. And um Justice League Unlimited was just throwing so many cool characters that I loved at me that um, I would love to see that come back in that very format. No CGI animation, anything like that. Just just give it to me old school. Um, I don't mind a little bit of CGI. I, I, don't get me wrong, I actually enjoyed um, Green, Green right. Lantern and I enjoyed the Batman show, but mm. but Justice League just, Unlimited yeah. was just right, perfect for me. Okay. <laughs> um, my number four show is Dead Like Me which ran for two seasons in the 2000s and was um, about a girl who gets killed by the falling seat from the Mir space station, toilet the toilet, toilet seat, seat from the Mir space station, and becomes a reaper and has to go around like collecting the souls of the dead. Um, I absolutely loved this show when it was on, and um, then it was cancelled, unfortunately, and they did um, telemovies, a couple of telemovies afterwards, but they were very dissatisfying conclusions to the show. Um, a big part of it was the the fact that Mandy Patinkin wasn't there, and um, he was absolutely brilliant in the in the TV He's show. Brilliant everything. So, <laughs> so that's my number four show. I'd love to see Dead Like Me back. Uh, my number three show is Veronica Mars. Uh, I knew so. <laughs> I knew one of you going to bring that up. 
Okay, I'd like to point out that I became a fan of Veronica Mars because David really liked it and showed it to me when do, we were housemates. I do like it. I just think it's so overrated. You absolutely <laughs> loved it. You're the one that told me to watch it in the first place. Oh, yeah, so I continue. So I really enjoyed it, especially, especially the, the first couple of seasons. I thought the third season was a little bit weaker, but um, and actually I enjoyed the recent movie. Um, and I'd actually okay. like to see to have seen a TV show TV show come off that movie. Mm. Um, I think there's a lot more scope to work with here, um, and um, I just don't want to have to keep relying on Kickstarter to get these things happening again. Uh, my number two show is Deadwood, but I'm not going to say much about that because Dave's already mentioned it. I know Luke would like to talk about it. Um, but yes, Deadwood is. I think it's interesting. We've all got Deadwood. Oh, uh, uh, to me, Deadwood is the best show of the two thousands, and um, I really was annoyed that I didn't get that fourth. Has anybody season. got just just as an aside? So it's very similar to that sort of thing. Was was Rome? Has anybody got Rome? I, I started uh, watching that, and you came over and said, "This looks." Awful. <laughs> I don't think I use that word, but that's you that. didn't use that word. And um, what? Well, I'm not sure whether it was that that put me off, or whether I was just too busy, but never ended up watching the rest of it. And now you think it's brilliant. <laughs> I don't think it's brilliant. Uh, it's not Deadwood level, but it's still good. I, I must admit, I thoroughly enjoyed yeah. Rome. It was a lot of fun, but I and yeah, if it came back, I would definitely like to watch more of it. But I, I wouldn't put it up there above gotcha. the shows I've got here. Gotcha. Um, my number one show, um, however, is Carnival. It lasted two seasons and set up this incredibly complex story about the battle between good and evil, and then just stopped. It's set in it was set in the nineteen uh, in the nineteen thirties, centered around uh, two stories: one around a, a carnival and the people within the carnival, and the second story was about a, um, a preacher and um, his sort of trials and tribulations and. The biggest, my biggest problem with with this was the whole time you're waiting for the point where Clancy Brown, who plays uh, the Priest. preacher, mm. and Nick Stahl, is it? Yeah, Nick Stahl. And, and Nick Stahl, who plays the main carnival person. You're waiting for them to come together and waiting to see how these two storylines sort of interact and, and the big overall picture. And there's all this stuff about Nick Stahl's dad and all the stuff that's happened in the past. And just waiting for all of that to happen. And it never did. Adam was very, very, very annoyed. Um, it's like I've got, I've, I've got the first act of a story, and that's it. Should write some fan fiction. Well, um, um, the creators of the show have actually set up a website where they talk about where things were going, but you know, it's it's not, it's the, not same. the same. It's not. It's the not the same. same. Um, and this show, I mean, it was just just this really disturbingly uncomfortable sort of in a true detective Twin Peaks kind of way. You know, you're enthralled by it, but it was kind of uncomfortable to watch. And I just, I really wish that the show had had a chance to continue and to finish off its story. Cool. Now, Luke? Um, okay, I don't have a top five. I struggle with the top five. I've got a top three. And I'll explain why. A lot of the shows that you've mentioned so far, which I'm fans of, you know, Firefly, Veronica Mars, Star Trek, for me, like, let's take Star Trek for a sec. For, you know, Star Trek, I know, the original Star Trek went for three seasons, and then we got, after that, we had Next Gen, Deep Space Nine, Enterprise, we've had umpteen movies. Yeah, Voyager, Enterprise, uh, um, um, umpteen movies, um, reboots, restarts, novels, comics. So Star Trek really hasn't gone away. I haven't been, whilst I, I love Star Trek, I haven't been going, where's Star Trek, why isn't it back? Gotcha. Um, Doctor at one point would have been on my list, but they brought Doctor Who back. Yeah. Um, uh, Veronica Mars and Firefly, you know, again, like Star Trek, you know, they they, continu- they did actually manage to continue on somehow. They had films, they've had books, they've had comics. Gotcha. Um, so things like that. And I, if for me, a show to return means that, you know, there's actually something lacking. So, my top three. Three, Beware the Batman. Now, yes, there are other Batman cartoon shows, and it's not the greatest Batman cartoon show of all time. Which has already mentioned Batman, the animated series, and Justice League Unlimited. Um, the, but the recent Batman cartoon show, Beware the Batman... Um, was trying to get Batman, the cartoon franchise, back into the darker territory, away from the the, the, the fun and light-hearted, and I enjoyed Batman Brave and the Bold, but back into the sort of more Dark Knight territory, um, but was trying to use different villains than the classic villains. Yeah. Um, and building up to the appearance of the one classic villain they were using, which is Ra's al Ghul. Um, but then the series, you know, was put on hiatus, and the, you know, there's been some toing and froing right in the middle of a cliffhanger. Right. So that that that's why I want it back, so that they can actually finish off the rest of the story, mm. um, so we can see what happens. Mm. Um, and I was I was enjoying Beware the Batman. 
My number two show is Ripper Street. The BBC's uh, recent uh, post-Jack the Ripper um, uh, crime series involving the, um, the setup of H Division in an attempt to look at more nefarious crimes in the, uh, in the, in the wake of um, the Whitechapel murders. Three very good characters, some very high production standards, um, an appearance by the Elephant Man, and quite a, quite a charming and heartfelt, um, heartfelt moment, some really nasty villains, um, and was an intriguing, if you know, if stylized look at um, uh, late 19th, the late nineteenth century in England. Um, very well written, very well acted, um, and I was really annoyed at the end of the second, at the end of the, se- at the end of season two because it doesn't actually finish. Right. Um, it's not a cliffhanger per se, but there's no right. We're finished doing Ripper Street now. Let's move on to the next thing. That was quite clearly going to be. I felt you know a season three, possibly season four. Just got, to, just got to point out, there's, a, there's some sort of bird convent, convention happening. Yeah, it's, there's a Hitchcock yeah. convention. <laughs> Hitchcock convention. Hitchcock <laughs> I was going to say, this is what we usually call spring. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sorry. And my number one, you know, absolutely want to see, we've mentioned, you know, on both lists, on all lists so far, Deadwood. Yeah. Deadwood doesn't actually finish. Mm. You know, it actually... You, um, I take Crystal's point that, you know, it, it, you know, life moves on after the show, but having actually read up a little bit on the history of Deadwood, because I actually wanted to know how much of it was real, you know, yeah. whether Al Swearingen and Bullock actually did something they do, um, although not in the forms that you see on screen. Um, there is, in the history of, particularly Swearingen's history, there is actually, I think, a, a good end point for the series. Yeah. Um, that they could have, you, do it, uh, you know, messing around the timeline, sure, but could have actually have ended on which is the burning of the gem saloon yeah um and him, and him dying well he, yeah and him dying that would yeah. have been that would really would have been the end point he doesn't die at the gem saloon he dies no he dies, on dies a, later on dies on a train on but, a train yeah um like that's, a heart attack that, yeah like. <laughs> that's how for me that's where you should end the the breaking of the power of Al Swearingen yeah um totally with you and that's why because I, I really wanted to see I really want to see that yeah and I'm annoyed that you know not enough people watched it, watched it enough to justify the huge expense that it took <laughs> to make the show. Um, so those are my top three. Sweet. My top five, I'm even worse than Luke. I don't have a top five. I have a top two. <laughs> you kind of stole your idea. He kind of, I actually thought he was going to say what I was going to say, but he didn't really say that. Yeah, okay. He still yeah. doesn't say what you were going to say. No, That's fine. He didn't. Yeah. I thought we were kind of on the same wavelengths, but then he viewed it different direction um actually i kind of while you guys were talking i kind of thought of a third one but it's not really a tv show that's what um the trip to italy right yeah I, I don't wish for i don't wish yeah. oh yeah it was a tv show wasn't it yeah. yeah i don't wish for another season or anything i just wish for another five or ten minutes to actually end it properly instead of it just stopping yeah, I don't think I don't think the trip to Italy was edited as well as the first one because yeah. because mm-hmm. there's like six six episodes long mm-hmm. originally and they edited them down mm-hmm. for the movie. I just don't, I don't think they picked the bits that I would have. They didn't pick the bits that I would have picked yeah. from from the show this time. Yeah. Whereas the first one was perfect. Yeah, and the first one had a natural sort of ending. This one just stopped. Yeah, yeah. And um, my number two is the panel. Oh yeah. Um, popular. I think I, I meant to do some research on this and, and didn't get time to do it, but my feeling is it might have been one of the very first panel TV shows, and that, and that's where the format came from and people sort of started copying that. Uh, uh, no, it so wasn't the first one, but I think it was more of a return, yeah, a return for that sort of stuff. Yeah. Away C- from drama or at the, t- at the time, yeah. the big thing in this country was um, infotainment. Yeah, there um, weren't yeah. a lot of panel shows around no. at that time. And it, no. I, I agree with you on one thing, though. Yeah. This did set up the um, model for what the modern panel shows would be like. Mm. That's what true. I was just yeah. about to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's why I agree with you. It's, it's See, I read your mind. Sort of the... Um, the template for the current sort of panel shows. Um, gotcha. And it's just a show that I really quite enjoyed. And the people, you know, it was hosted by Tom... Gleisner. I was going to say Glasson. That's wrong. <laughs> he, he, might have been still, he might have still been at school at that point. Um, <laughs> Tom Gleisner uh, um, and, and regular panellists included Rob Sitch, Santo Tolaro, Kate Langbrook... Um, Glenn Robbins, mm. occasionally Harry Shearer would pop in, and you get other international guests, uh, Jane Kennedy. Uh, so basically, the, the work, isn't it working it's dog. It's basically yeah. the working dog working group, dog and, group and, yeah. and they 
bring in their friends. Their friends, yeah. And they talk Who about are um, people. <laughs> they talk about the the current events of the day and popular culture, that sort of thing. And I think it went for a good few years, but and it I was did, disappointed yeah. to see it go. And I wouldn't mind seeing it coming back afresh, Ooh. like revamped. Um, and my number one show, obviously, is the roast. I'm still smarting from the ABC cut. So if we, <laughs> if we could just buy a few less crappy fighter planes and put some more money back into the ABC, <laughs> nice. <laughs> she gets all political. Um, if, if if we could just you know yeah. vote for a government that's willing to support the, the arts and uh, current affairs, yes, but then they political. tell us there's going to be no cuts, and then there are cuts. So who do you believe? <laughs> you don't believe any of them. <laughs> well, they're politicians, so automatically you don't yes. believe them. Um, but all my my main my main reason for not having more than that is because I tried very hard to think of shows that I'd watched in the past that I was disappointed at ending. And there are quite a few, but looking back on them, even though I was very disappointed that they ended at the time, I can't think of any now that I'd like to see come back because I feel like they, they're they done and they've had their yeah. day. So, so even if they didn't end well they still feel kind of complete to me, like Quantum Leap. Um, I would prefer to have ended differently, but it's still a, a complete sort of set. Enterprise, I know as much as David hates it. Uh, <laughs> I, I loved it at the time. I loved the first series. The middle two, meh, and the last series I quite liked. Not sure I liked the way it ended. Would have liked to see How more could series. could possibly like the way it ended? <laughs> I didn't even like the show, and I still thought it was an insult. Would have liked to see more series at the time, but now... Probably not. Can I just throw something at you? Star Trek Enterprise, take Trip out. Did you still? Would you still like the show? I would still like the show. Yeah. <laughs> Why? I mean, there are certain elements that I probably wouldn't have injected into a Star Trek show. Yeah. But you know, they were trying like the to, wash down they, sequences. Yeah, probably. What was that about? They were trying. They're trying to be um, sexy, modern. I think. <laughs> Rubbish. Yeah. yeah. Um, Maybe HBO should do a Star Trek series. Oh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's the most brutal Star Trek series. Origins of New Black in Space. And, and <laughs> you know what? one more Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> you know exactly what? All these shows that I enjoyed in the past are, not, are now instantly available to me. I don't, yeah. I don't have to crave for a new season because they're all there. There's also, I suppose, the risk that with a lot of these shows, as much as I would love to see them come back, this time, you know, the history has proven that sometimes shows returning just does not work. Yeah, that's going to be my other point. Um, I've been burned by Red Dwarf. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the classic example um, right there. Back, back to Earth was really awful. Although, and I know I was so hesitant to watch season ten when it came out, and I didn't mind it. It was actually kind of harkened back to the first seasons, but it was sort of a regurgitation of the mm. same old thing, and they're playing the same old characters, even though they were 20 years older. Even Crichton had bags under his eyes, and he's meant to be a robot. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> One episode of season 10 that I watched, I went, oh, my God, we're still banging on about Rimmer's parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was the same old, same old stuff, but it was kind of a nostalgic, and it was much better written than Back to Earth. Mm. But it just sort of just showed to me that you can't really go back. You can might possibly remake a show, but I'm so over remakes. Yeah. Mm. Really. <laughs> as much as I enjoyed the last few Star Trek films, even with the plot holes, I'm over reboots and remakes. Gotcha there. Yeah. I've got some good news there, just some quick back to the news stuff. Robert Orkey, not on Star Trek 3. Is, Let's just hope he's not, he's not replaced by Josh Trank. He'll be okay. I think J.J. Abrams is not on Star Trek 3 either. So nah, well, Orky, Orky and Abrams are, are producing, but, uh, but Orky is now no longer directing. They should get Peter so. David to write. Yeah, they should. He's a, he's a cool Star Trek author. Cool. All right, well, that was a good one. Let's uh, finish up with some... Coming soon. Coming soon. In Australian cinemas, December 11... Uh, we get Horrible Bosses 2, which, yeah. yeah Horrible uh, Bosses 1 was okay, okay but was okay. a bit hit and miss. I like Colin Colin. Not, not enough that I'm going to go see the sequel. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen the first one. Yeah, well, I thought it was good. It's okay. Um, and Paddington. Paddington gets I'm his, curious. His there's a part of there's me that really wants... There's a huge Luke's face. There's a part of me that wants to see this, because I was a Paddington oh, fan when yeah, I was a kid. I, I, I can't remember. Bit... I'm spewing this not video, because as soon as I said the word Paddington, the huge smile yeah, on your yeah. face... I'm, also... I'm a little concerned about how Paddington looks in this, though. He looks kind of creepy in the... He does, place, he? yeah. He looks more... He kind of looks a little bit more rat-like. And yeah, yeah. Know, it's just something not quite... That's like, good. he doesn't look... Like, Paddington was always charming he and... He looks like a guinea pig. Cute, and mm. here he just looks kind of... 
weird. I'm not quite no. sure. But still, yeah. No, I'll I, still say, I'll still say, like, it, it, yeah. it, it, you know, child, fond, uh, fond childhood memories, like Peanuts when it comes out next year. I'll go see Peanuts. I didn't even know Peanuts was coming out next year. Yeah, you're not saying the trailer C- for it? Is it CGI? Yeah. yeah. But CGI done in Schultz's style. Oh, well, that's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah they've, they've, is it a particular, particular storyline? I don't know. All, all, I, all I've seen is the teaser trailer that they've done. Please have the adults all do talk to the same way. I, I get the the, <laughs> um, the music on the trailer sounds very much like the music for the special, so you probably yeah. will get that. That's cool. I hope so. Mm. That'd be cool. If that could become like a, so you know, because the Peanuts Christmas special, mm. it's just it's a highlight. Yeah. It's pretty stuff. So I think if it could be at least as good as that, mm. yeah, that'd be pretty cool. That would be cool. Cool. So that's episode uh, one twenty in the bag. In the bag. <laughs> We nailed it! <laughs> we did indeed. We nailed it We hard. nailed it, indeed. Uh, that's it from me and the crew. Richard. I'm going to go on a rant right now! No. Too late! No! <laughs> Luke. And glorious tankies! And Crystal. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> that was quite terrible. That was, that was disgraceful. <laughs> I'm hopeless. Names and impersonations. I just can't do it. You've been listening to Nerd Culture Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email to feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com. You can write on our wall if you go to the Facebook page. Go to facebook.com forward slash nerdculturepodcast. Tweet us at nerdculturecast. Skype us on Nerd Culture Podcast. If we don't answer, leave a message. We might even play it on the show. You can comment on any post on our website www.nerdculturepodcast.com. If you'd like to support the show, use the Amazon affiliate widget on our website to do your Amazon shopping. It doesn't cost you any extra, and a small percentage of the profit goes towards helping us to produce our show. We can see what you buy, but not who you are, so your privacy is assured. Check out our videos at ncptv.net, or search for NCPTV on YouTube, because we also have a YouTube channel. Don't forget, you can rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes. Wondering where you can hear more of Bo? Go to ecnradio.com. Bo and David also have another podcast called Film Flames. More info at www.filmflames.com. You can find all of our podcasts and more at undercastnetwork.com. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for more episodes. <laughs>